Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening and welcome to tonight's podcast. I'm your moderator, Lauren. Uh, it is Wednesday, December 20th, 2017, uh, over a couple of minutes after 9 p.m. Hey, before we officially get started, uh, you guys know the rundown. Number one, all comments and opinions of my guests do not necessarily reflect my own. However, we're all together talking, a lot to be shared, and learn from one another. Uh, as you can tell, if you've called in, your phone has been muted when I'm conducting interview or my personal commentary. I do not engage with uh, callers nor chat uh, for distraction measures. Now, the chat room remains open. You can chat among yourselves. At the commence of interview, uh, you can star eight on your phone. And at that point, uh, I will go between callers and chatters uh, to um, answer questions, and at that time, you guys can direct questions to tonight's speaker, uh, and then we can um, begin. Let me see if there's any other announcements at this time. I don't have any. So, as they like to say in show business, guys, let's go ahead and get the show on the road. here. Oh, yes, you're at the right place and right time. Good evening. Welcome to Lauren's Podcast. Wednesday, December 20th, 2017. Oh, got some real class for you tonight. We're going to have distinguished guest, Mr. Scott Roloff, who's going to discuss in his court cases. This designation, when you are labeled an enemy of the state. Tonight, Scott's going to give us the ins and outs when you're a blacklist and targeted. Can you get justice, even at our high court of the United States of America? Oh, there's so much to learn. Welcome, Mr. Scott Rolo. Hi, Lauren. Good evening, Scott. I am so pleased to be here, and thanks for having me. Thank you. I am as well. God, I I guess we begin to begin. Uh, As you lived in our great country, when did you feel um, your targeting, Scott, began in your life? Well, by the time I was six months old, I was totally terrorized. I started to walk then, which was... Very much not with his mother. Old, a baby? You were a baby? Oh, yes. Yeah. My father used to pick up the high chair and throw it across the room, and when I cried, he'd tell me to shut up. And um, that happened a few times. My mom finally told him, look, you do that again, I'm going to take the kids and leave. And So he didn't do it anymore, but his attitude was bad, and 
it, it got progressively worse. He was a very brilliant guy. He was uh, full of mirth, uh, lots of personality, and he had extreme great good fortune in his life. And he's very talented mm-hmm. and brilliant. Um, he had a career in architecture. He was very uh, very gifted designer and mathematician, and also a great businessman. Wow. Very socially able and. Everybody liked him, and I liked him. I loved him. You know, he's my father, but he was very much into Stasi tactics, and so I've been, you know, I've, I've kind of been a target all my life. I was always having to fight some lie that was going around about me, and it generally, you know, just, well, always uh, could be sourced back to my family. So I was really always kind of a, a victim that way, and I kept trying to turn around thinking, you know, this is going to get better, and I'm going to have a regular life someday, and and um, it still hasn't happened. <laughs> but I keep trying. But I've been in a formal program, and actually there was a build-up to it before 1995, but 95 is when it started with the theft of everything from my house. I just moved into a house, and I hadn't had a place to live uh, for like five years because I got divorced. And um, Let me see, before we even... Get to your adulthood, Scott. Let me make sure I understand this. Uh, you're born as a baby, and even a small baby, six months old, you're learning how to walk, which I think is, you know, wow, whoa, hey. And then uh, by your father having all these attributes, a mathematician, an architecture, would you say, you know, what am I trying to say? Your family, you did not come from poverty. Is that correct? Pretty nice life? Well, we lived in a little tract house. In the village, in just it's like North Oklahoma City, and um, it wasn't anything fancy or big, but mm-hmm. he uh, he got some. His career took off. It really kind of turned around and took off in the mid to late 50s, right before I started in kindergarten. And mm-hmm. um, by the time he was in his mid 30s, he was able to build that house in the country and. Uh, so yeah, we weren't rich, but we were, we were, uh, gee, you know, we were upper middle class. So you know, we were, we were in good condition, and he remained in good condition even though he had a lot of years where he had just no work at all and nothing coming in. He managed to make money, and he was good at managing it, and he didn't waste it. And um, when you also said you feel you've been targeted all your life, growing up as a boy, as a teenager, into, you know, young adult, man, would you say that your life has had a lot of obstacles as you reflect back? He killed every job I had from start to finish and finally killed my career path at the end, which wasn't a great line of work. I was driving on Class A motor vehicles. Mm -hmm. I was a trucker. And... um, but I had to have a job, and that was what was hiring that I could get. So I've got a, you know, I've got a bachelor's degree and out of your graduate study, and mm-hmm. um, my degree was in journalism, and I was self-employed for a few years with my brother in the printing business, and I worked as a typesetter for a few years by myself, and then I started driving because uh, we just had to do more than what I was doing. And, what you're doing. Okay, so you, you like you said, uh, this program um, got in your way of a lot of your dreams and hopes. Do you, now, Scott, did it get in your way for personal relationships? Have you married? Do you have children? 
No, I don't have any kids. And we were we were together about ten years. We were married for almost nine years. And um, but I started uh, traveling, and I was out most of the time. And she just didn't adjust to it. So she she took up with another guy, and that was pretty much that. And Sorry to hear that. It, it, it was very tough. I uh, I moved from the city. I'd gone down to live in the city. I moved from the city back here to Edmond. When I did, I threw away all of my old um, employment query letters. I had five boxes of them. You get 5,000 sheets in a box. That was 25,000 letters I wrote looking for a job. It was hard to get a job, like in the 80s. It was when I wrote them. And I'd saved them all for some reason. I don't know why, because I think out of all those, it did produce one job. But jobs were just hard to get in those days. And so that's, yeah. that's what I did. You know, I found a job. Um, so that that part was hard. Yeah, relationships were hard. Uh, they messed with every love relationship I had and friendships. And finally, here, after uh, the 90s, there was an effort just to know everyone I associate with and uh, bring the, those relationships to an end. So, Right, and at this point in the 90s, and I believe uh, that might be a lot of the topics we've addressed on Facebook, let me... Uh, make sure I get this right. You're on social media. Um, you are um, right. You filed two court cases. And wait, let's back up. How did I even um, have introduction to you, uh, everyone? Scott was introduced to me, uh, word of mouth, from our elder in our community, Elvira Williams, who I think the world of. And I'm very grateful that she suggested that I interview you. And we talked a few minutes. And what really, I read one of your posts on Facebook, what really got to me was how you worded the designation when you are marked, everyone, or labeled an enemy of the state. Right. And I read your post uh, of your experiences of these two lawsuits that you've had to deal with, and it was mind-blowing. Exactly, everyone as targeted individuals, when we have the means and the gumption to go to our courts in this country, justice sometimes may not arrive as well. It's far and from dramatic. A lot of people think, oh, these people, they'll see justice. Oh, don't think that they will. I was telling a girl just tonight, she's saying, oh, they'll, they'll have to account for what they've done. I said, Nothing's going to happen to them. Nothing. They they manipulate the process of justice. Department of Justice is afraid of these people I'm dealing with. Oh, my God. Afraid? Oh, wait a minute. I had a feeling there was some fear and intimidation in this. Let's, let's uh, keep going, as I like to talk, with the spiral staircase. Let's bring it back a little slowly so everybody that can pick up what you're putting down. So something hit in your life in the 90s. Yeah, my okay. mother died in 1994. She was only 67, just, um, oh, let's see, two months after my parents' 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And he took up with a lady I had met in 1959. I went to school with her kids. Lady oh, you knew her. You knew her. You knew her. So 1994, your mother passed. I'm sorry again for that loss. I'm sure it was great. And then shortly after your mother's death, your father remarried? Yeah, he started seeing this this lady, and I guess they married in January of 96. Um, 
And um, she knew this fellow who is the program administrator. His name is David Sid. And David Sid is a private security contractor. He opened the Memorial Institute for the Prevention of Terrorism in Oklahoma City. I, before I go any further, uh, Lauren, I wanted to tell you, um, we we talked for an hour, and there are a lot of great things I didn't even get to tell you in that hour. But um, uh, David opened up this this institute ostensibly to train police officers that um, they should watch for people buying ammonium nitrate fertilizer and or diesel fuel that these people wanted to uh, destroy government buildings, which is not really the case. But that was the, that was the basis of his uh, educational program for, for counterterrorism. The real purpose, and he trained 19,000 officers, and Uncle Sam paid him to do it. The real purpose of uh, his uh, program was to establish contacts with uh, police departments throughout the country and even around the world. And so he emerges as one of the great um, kind of designers and, uh, of uh, the modern era of uh, organized harassment and a lot of the ways that these programs are conducted and the way even the targets are selected come out of uh, studies and um, just different statistics and opinions and God, speculation or just myths and guesses that um, arise from the Memorial Institute for the Prevention of Terrorism and or David Sid. Uh, David Sid, S-I-D, literally like that? C-I-D. David Sid, CID. Now, the Memorial Institute has been defunded, so it is no more, but David still runs his business, and I don't know how much money he made. It was certainly tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Those are tax-free dollars that they pay these guys, and they have immunity from prosecution. So how do they have immunity? Yeah, huh? How do they have immunity? How is that wiggled out? How the laws are written. These are secret laws. They're not available for perusal in the public domain. They're like FISA court rules, that kind of stuff. What FISA courts do, we don't know. FISA courts, secret courts. Um, Just a quick question. If that's secret like that, can that be upheld under a constitution? Yes, it's uh, unconstitutional, and it's... Illegal in every state. It's illegal everywhere in the world. You know, to you know, to kill people and steal their assets and all the <laughs> things that they do, and they do these things. Yes, they do. And I'm, I'm trying to now make the connection as you're describing, Scott. Your father passed. You married a woman who was friends, acquainted with the state did. Did this man meet your dad as well? Oh yeah. Um, her her children. She had two sons, and they were doing a like a um, home development sort of a business venture adjacent to the property where uh, my dad and, and she were living, um, and just to the uh, west of there was the Lazy Arena up on Forest Hills Road in Logan County, in Oklahoma, and um, David acquired one of these houses now. I guess they might have made him a deal on it. I don't know what the deal with that was, but anyway, he he got one of the houses that they built. So 
they were actually neighbors and great friends, and they were telling me about what a great genius he was because he not only didn't have to pay taxes, Uncle Sam was paying him like millions of dollars. He was getting like fabulously wealthy. Now, before that, he'd been, he was, I was told by a couple of people, he was the number two man at the Oklahoma City office of FBI. So he's a typical kind of person who would get involved. He's taking advantage of some little-known laws that, you know, very few people knew about, and he had the inside information on it, and he knew how to get going with it. And um, where all the where all the operational information comes from for that kind of business, I'm not real sure, but um, he sure had it. He's he's uh, as much of an expert as anybody on earth. Do you think uh, more of your uh, organized targeting, stalking began after your father remarried the second time, and this woman was, you know, associate David Kidd was her associate, and thus your father's associate now? Oh yeah, that's when the formal program began. Um, He hadn't married Patty yet, but um, whereas I had had trouble on the jobs before. See, my dad started out, he, he started out with uh, one employer, and he said, well, you know, well, Scott doesn't have much experience, and hey, the guy just fired me. You know, we were trying to get him a major client. It was an ad agency. We are trying to get this guy a major client. The guy just fired me. And it turned out, you know, he shouldn't have done that. I said, just let me hang on another couple of weeks. You can talk to these people, and then you can let me go. And it's like, uh, if you let me go today, you're not going to get to. And he's like, ah, to hell with you. Get out, you know. Well, but it turned into more than that. Um, they'd always come up with some kind of a lie, and it got to the point where he was telling employers such things as I was selling hard drugs to uh, toddlers. And um, The thing that got it there at the end was I was talking about organizing the union. And man, after that, no one in the country would hire me because that information was shared on the DAC services network. It's based in Tulsa, and um, truck companies share, like, your medical and driving history and that kind of stuff. Medical driving history. So, in essence, you are now blacklisted from every uh, truck stop in the United States? Oh, yeah. I made a bunch of calls, and I called all kinds of companies. And uh, After I gave them my license number, I couldn't, nobody there would talk to me at all. Oh, yeah, the DAC services in Tulsa, and I, I've still got a copy of my letter from them, and I just right here at hand, I wrote to them and told them I was having this problem. You know, would they like to kind of help me out a little bit? They. Um, um, this is one of the aspects in in the nineties again. After your you felt your organized attacks came directly at you, more organized. What other uh, Parts of targeting that you experienced since the 90s, and, and I guess it would be up to the present, of course. Well, thank goodness I don't get the worst of the electronic okay. uh, like weapon attack. Um, yeah. I get a little uh, thermal heating. I get a little insomnia from time okay. to time that seems very unnatural. I, I got a little energization here about a month ago for about two weeks, which I'd never had. But it, I've got a mainspring watch. It was making it run real fast. For some reason, you know, it's like for just a couple of weeks, and then it went back to just operating normally. Um, but 
it's mostly uh, like defamation, trouble with money, trouble with employers, trouble with friendships. Um, but after, did you get wing socks, swarms of people? Did you feel like you suffered that, Scott? Well, not at first. You know, um, the first thing that happened was everything in the house got stolen. Well, I reported to the police, and of course, I got no action out of them. And um, oh, home break-ins, invasions, home break-ins. You suffered. Oh yeah, but I was getting um, another thing that's happened quite a lot, and started happening from the start was. Uh, food and like drinking water in the refrigerator being contaminated. Oh yes, yeah. some of us get that's horrible, and it makes you sick. Sick. I think they're trying to kill us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real sick. Um, back uh, when I was living down in the city, it was mostly just this incredible, incredible diarrhea. It was like really, yeah. really bad. Oh, yeah. I couldn't even imagine what it could be. But once I got up here and um especially after my dad died, why uh, it was uh, vomiting. And I mean severe vomiting. It was very terrible. I mean, every time it happened, it's happened just scores and scores of times. And every time it happened, I thought it was going to kill me because I would, like, dry heave to the point I thought I was going to get a hernia. Mm-hmm. It was, like, so bad. And um, mm-hmm. I'd usually have to go lie down and pass out for a few hours after after I stopped throwing up. Mm-hmm. It's very, very terrible. Um, you know, you just you feel like crap for several days, and then you don't really uh, want anything to eat. And, but yeah. I would usually get better. It's some kind of they're using some kind of inorganic compound. It was always yeah. the same thing. And in five minutes, I knew there was something wrong. In fifteen minutes, I'm starting to belch up this sulfuric gas. And mm-hmm. then about thirty minutes after. I would ingest something. Um, yeah, I'd be throwing up, and it was it was very terrible. You know, when we leave our homes, everyone, some of us have definitely experienced that, and still do. They will come in and lay out the poisons and contaminate food to make us sick. I've been, in fact, I've been served bad food in restaurants since targeting. I don't eat out too much. Yeah, um, I, I've actually gotten that just a couple of times in restaurants, but I try not to go any place with any too much regularity and exactly. um, that's something that I've learned to do and I've tried to uh you know, I'll go I'll go ten or twenty miles away to eat sometimes. So that's smart. Yeah. I've had a little food preparation. I really hadn't had any food preparation over here in like I don't know, three and a half years. And it's hard to uh have like no food in the house. If it's not in a sealed package then I just don't have it. Canned food, exactly. You still hope you don't know if they can get in that way. Now, Scott, what was the basis, you know, designation, enemy of the state? The 90s, you definitely noticed the campaign. Uh, Again, you felt you were put in this level by uh, acquaintance of your stepmother who became an acquaintance of your father, as David said, that they both thought he was a pretty good guy. Do you think you're father and stepmother knew that you were put in this program? Uh, yes, they they knew. They caused it to happen. Um, my oh, my mother, God. Your, your natural-born father put you in a targeted individual program? My brother got married to a girl named Janet, and she, uh, she was formerly um, 
chief counsel, the lawyer for our State Bureau of Investigation, OSBI, in uh, January of 2003. Wait a minute. Let me let me think if that's right. No, 2004. They went together for about a year, 2003 to 2004, and then they got married in January 2004. And um, almost immediately, they started being attacked by what, we finally decided we're direct energy weapons. We had no, we had no frame of reference at that point. I didn't, I you know I learned about these things back in the 1950s, but I didn't know they were under any state of uh, development or their use was as prevalent as it is. And I guess I should have known better, but I hadn't heard anybody talk about it, and I I wasn't researching it at all. Oh yeah, I I didn't even know their existence, Scott, until I was a target at my sister and I four years ago, 2013, in Los Angeles. But I had never heard of them. But then people started making jokes in the community, ray guns from like Star Trek, and I was like, oh okay, is that what directed energy is? Yeah, and um, the the uh, the things that happened to them were very uh, very startling, and it was very horrible to watch. They didn't seem to be suffering, but they were seeing, they were getting visual and auditory imagery. That was oh, both of them? Your brother and his wife? Your brother and his wife were both getting attacked the same way? Right. And a, a lot of the stuff they saw was the same, and then both of them saw different things. But the main thing they were seeing was, and they were seeing this without looking out the window, so I could tell that there was something very wrong. Um, they... He he said he would hear sirens coming in the distance, and he knew that it was a uh, like a SWAT team, a tactical police force that was coming to their house. And um, all of a sudden, he'd get this panic look on his face and go, "They're coming!" or "They're here!" And I, I'd say, "Who?" Well, you know, he said, "Yeah, it's the police." You know, and I was like, "Man, there's there's nobody here. You know, there's nobody there." They were seeing people coming through the windows and coming through the walls. Uh, they both said they could uh, hear them running around the house and hear their feel their feet hitting the ground. They could smell the dust they were stirring up. And they had dogs with them. They were barking. They had they could hear their, their radios crackling. They could see the uh, insignias on their uniforms and on their vehicles. <laughs> you know, and um, I'd they'd call me up and say, "Man, the police are over here." I'd go over there. There was nobody there, and there had been nobody there. There's, there were no footprints in the in the grass or anything like that. Um, they and these these uh, episodes would go on for maybe five or eight hours, and they might go on for thirty or forty hours. And then just as quickly as they started, they'd stop, and they'd be back to normal. Everything was just back to normal. They weren't being hit with uh, like blasts, like you hear people talking about now, or they're getting hit by things that are like either electrifying them or they feel like they're being stabbed or, you know, stuck with pins, that kind of stuff. You get a lot of that these days. Now, do you feel that that your um, your brother and his wife, your sister-in-law, do you think all three of you guys were put into this based on this David says? And your, did you, what I'm saying is did your dad and stepmother also sign your brother and his wife up for this too? As well. exactly, yeah, exactly right. There was no reason for it. It wasn't for bloodline. It wasn't for blood type. It wasn't for uh, some kind of misconduct that uh, we had done. It was just because they knew a guy who could do it. They thought it was funny. And so 
they did it, and they had the money to uh, pay the guy to, um, you know, get it started. Now, in my own program, it became clear to me at some point that um, the federal government was funding it for a while because I got a great increase in activity, and um, some of the neighbors over here had, were like program players or what they call surveillance role players, and uh, they were you know, pretty much full-time employed with it, and I could tell that you know, they they'd got they'd made some kind of a new agreement because they became far more active and they were all uh, very happy about it. Um, that that's the thing. I entertained a lot of theories as to who might be causing it. His wife had uh, successfully uh, initiated and um, brought to a successful conclusion the state initiative to ban cockfighting. And um, she got the vote, and uh, you know it was it was they got a new law prohibiting it. Oklahoma was one of the last of the states to uh, ban cockfighting, and I really believed that um, there were there were like organized crime people that were mixed up with the uh, people who were raising fighting chickens that had caused mm-hmm. it to happen. I, I thought that was a pretty good. Theory, but that's all it was. You know, I didn't have any real reason to think. I'm just trying to digest just for a minute before we keep continuing that your father and his <clears throat> second wife and this David Sid would put you, your brother, and his wife to be killed and in this program, tortured, and they thought it was fun. Yeah, they thought it was, you know, it was just funny to them. They were... Horrible. You, you have to realize... I've heard a lot of reasons. They've said revenge. Uh, everyone, we need to take this into factor that sometimes many of us are also become targeted individuals, revenge, and now I've learned tonight, fun. That's a sick humor. Wow. Sure. I mean, you know, they just didn't have... Um, they didn't have any confidence about it. You know, that's the thing. Some people do things just without any conscience. Yes, yes. One day my dad said to me, you, you realize that's me causing you to have all this bad luck, don't you? I go, yeah, Dad, I know. And he says, I said, why did you do that? He goes, it gives me a feeling of power, he says. Well, I was like, well, thank goodness for that, you know. I mean, this just that's the things that motivate people aren't things that most people would would do. I mean, most people wouldn't do something like that, especially to their own family. Oh, my God. And I was a good kid, you know, heck. I mean, I don't mind saying, you know, I was always good. My dad was known around the world. Um, he 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 was getting his work published in magazines that had, like, global circulation right before I started school. So I was always kind of on my best behavior because I didn't want people all around the world to think that I was stealing hubcaps or holding up banks or, you know, engaged in crime. I was, I tried to be good. That didn't help me at all. You know, it was like, there's um, nothing. I not to, you know, Scott, not to deviate too much, but it is on my mind. Your father was um, an architect, mathematician, uh, notoriety around the world, mentioned of his work, of his, of his mind, uh, in various 
magazine periodical. Growing up, uh, and and then he consciously, with his second wife, put you, your brother, and your brother's wife in this program to be a targeted individual. And and I'm trying to process this really slow. We can't really call it a money factor because your father had the wealth. Is that right? More wealth than you and your brother had? Oh, sure. He wasn't rich. He, mm-hmm. at the end of his career, I think he might have made a couple of million dollars, and he uh, put it in the bank, and he put it just in something safe like CDs, or I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what he did with it, but he didn't go out and blow it, and he didn't, you know, not, nothing happened to it. I guess I'm trying to ask this question, because it sounds to me like you were you and your brother didn't want to get in trouble. You had two normal sons. uh Again, productive in, in society. Scott, do you feel your father had wrath against you? Did he? Do you feel he hated you? Oh yeah, I mean he hated me. He loved my brother. He gave my brother all of the money he had, except for what he spent on himself. Wait, 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 wait. He loved your brother, but still he put him on another program to attack him. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and after a year of that <laughs> electronic weapon attack, they just turned off his heart. December 27, 2004, and he dropped mm-hmm. it on the floor. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, you think he put your brother in the program? Did he get angry at your brother to put him in the program? Because how could he be his favorite and then put him in this program, Scott? What's up? Who knows? I mean, maybe maybe my dad was, uh, you know, maybe he was under um, some kind of uh, manipulation by electronic weapons. Who Who knows? Or uh, yeah, they can mess with our minds now. Okay. Yeah, like influenced him, you know. Um, oh yeah, they can, and they can, you know. I think that my dad was very disappointed that my brother liked to drink a lot, and he liked to smoke rock, and you know stuff like that, and um, he liked to take prescription drugs, and he'd be all messed up most of the time. And I think it just kind of broke my dad's heart because he. He had made sure that my brother, who was his namesake, just had every possible advantage, and he felt like he'd sort of wasted it. Meantime, you know, I'm having to, I'm having to eke it out for myself. I, I told my cousin here, I don't know, a year or two ago, that from the time I left school, mm-hmm. the time that uh, he died, my dad did help me with money to the tune of about a total of, I don't know, maybe $5,000. Where my brother, it was like millions, and um, he just, you know, just just gone with the wind. You know, it's like he didn't come to anything with him. Wow, it's very very sad. The whole thing is very sad. But that. So when you look back on it, you just thought like your dad never really took um uh, invested in you. You know what I'm saying? Took a little time. Oh man, I mean, I remember him coming home from work. You know, when I was little, and I'd see him come down the hall. He would see me. He'd just get red in the face. He was just mad. I don't, you know, I just, I don't understand. He was that way from the start with me, and he didn't, he really had very little, if anything, to do with me most of his life. Yeah, tearing me up. I feel like a broken record tonight, uh, Scott, when we're speaking, you and I speaking. Again, I'm, I'm truly sorry. They, 
sort of treated you, you do you feel in that family you were always sort of treated like, I don't know, a prodigal son or persona no grata? Uh, gee, I don't know. I was sort of the unwanted stepchild, you know. <laughs> like it. It was like, I always felt like uh, I was someplace where I didn't belong, and that's how they wanted me to feel. Oh, my God, it's horrible. But it, it's truly horrible. My mother was a very wonderful person, and she, she tried to smooth over it as well as she could. And um, she kept telling me, you know, everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Well, things never were okay. And she finally figured it out that, you know, she thought they had more money than they did, and she found out that they didn't, and what he'd been doing with it, and what he'd been doing with me, too. And she just got sick. She died. She lost her will to live and just got sick and died. She was only 67. Oh my. I'm 64 now. Mm-hmm. You, know. you feel, in essence, from that your mother died of a broken heart, then, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, she smoked too much, and she... Uh, like to drink wine at night, and if you smoke and drink, you know, at the same time, you're ten times as likely to contract cancer, which is what happened. She got some, like, cancerous growths in her lungs and started to pass clots, and she had strokes, and just, and over about a week and a half, she died a very horrible death. Very bad, and it's just sad. It's very terrible. Well, anyway. It's like, um, I just want to take a moment. This is, this could be spawned, I, I don't know, out of some wild Hemingway novel because in essence you're the reverse in, in a sort of way, born of riches to wrath, inheritance, withheld. Oh, man. The, he, the, the finance fraud case is around this trust. He set this trust up. The way that they set it up, and they spent seven years getting it organized before they funded it. Mm-hmm. And the way it's set up, the, I can't do a transaction, and the bank can't show me the statements. So I have to work through a trustee. Well, stepmother Patty is still there. She's turned 90 in July, and she's operating the trust, but she has no standing. So she breaks a lot of laws doing it, but there's no enforcement, you know. There, you, <laughs> Nobody will help me. But there's another reason why nobody will help me. That that trust had, like, he put like $150,000 in it. She wanted to make sure I couldn't touch it and that the money just disappeared. And so (laughs) they did a little repair to this house where I'm living because it's a little mobile home and it's falling apart. And then they were just going to sell it and get rid of me. And... um, I wouldn't let them finish up the work, so they kind of threw a wrench in what they were doing. And um, then I said I wanted to move. And the trustee said, no, we're not going to allow it, and we're going to invest the money, all of it. So he just put the money in his account and spent it. (laughs) Wait a minute, man. Your inheritance, your trust from your father, by you being your father's son, and wait a minute, the the relevance of this trust now is, unfortunately, everyone, Scott, your brother passed away. Isn't that the relevance of this trust? At one point, you're the living heir. Is that correct? Right, right. I was his sole heir. And sole heir. I'm sorry. He set this ridiculous trust up before 30 days had passed after my brother died. So it was sort of like, yeah, well, he may be my sole heir, but all I'm going to do is give him uh, a world of uh, trouble. And 
<laughs> wait a minute, your father, wait a minute, I don't mean to keep interrupting. Is this the way your father talked to you, even though your brother died? I'm, I'm setting up this trust deliberately to sort of screw you out of your money? Oh, sure. The trust has an oil lease interest in it. Um, and the, the <laughs> this mineral interest comes from my mother's grandmother, my great-grandmother, a lady named Elsie Burton, who is a very wonderful person who uh, ran the farm and managed it and um, did all the cooking for the family and ranch hands and raised the kids, and she did all the cooking on a wood-burning stove until the day she died. And um, she always knew there was oil in this property. How she knew, I don't know, but she knew. It turns out there was. And the, the oil interest was finally developed, so now the trust makes, quite a bit of money. It's not a fortune, but it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that go into the trust. The trustee, under Patty's direction, refuses to show me any accounting, and I guess they're just stealing all the money. But I figure the total theft now is maybe 600000 or more dollars, and that's after taxes, so probably around a million dollars. And you no, know, the law won't do anything about it. They think it's funny. Everybody around here thinks it's funny that I'm an idiot. It's Wait a minute. Let me slow this down a little bit. Just I want to make sure we have understanding, God. Where you live, where you go, where you live, where you go to the bank, in the community, everybody knows God is getting screwed out of his trust. In essence, God is getting screwed out of his inheritance. And they laugh. They laugh. Oh, my God. Isn't that great? See, I don't need to be attacked by electronic weapons. I get tortured every second. Yes, it's almost like a, a type of uh, salacious mayhem at, at the expense of everyone lavishly spending your dead father's money. And I take it your stepmother is still, who's still alive, actually? Yeah, my stepmother, Patty. Patty um, had four children that um, I went to school with. And she was married to a doctor who delivered at least half of the babies in town during his uh, during his career. And he was kind of everybody's doctor at one point or another. And he was very well known. He was uh, he died young from drinking. Then she married a guy named Bing Hampton who had the traveling um, baseball trading card mm-hmm. uh, program. And he died of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Then she married my dad, and they were married for 15 years until um, he died in 2011. So, and she's 90 years old, and she she shows no sign of flagging. I mean, I expect she'll live, you know, another 20 years. It wouldn't surprise me. Heck, man, you know, she'll outlive me. I don't have any kids, or I'd say she'll outlive my children. Anyway, um, oh my God, you know, um, I, I, yeah, I, you know what, Scott, I'm just processing this as I believe all of our callers are. You guys, some of us have had with this program of targeted, we've had dissolvement of marriages, assets stripped, careers stripped, but how many of us have been picked? Offered, might as well say, children. 
kind of an inverted prodigal son. You remained. You didn't go far. You stayed faithful. You thought you had loyalty. They've treated you horrible. And now, at the end of this journey, you are totally withheld from your inheritance, your trust. And the delicious mayhem is that the bank and the community and the stepmother all are laughing while they spend the money and you and you still have to live like a pauper. Is that correct? That's right. I'm living on disability and um, the uh, trust shows that they're paying this money out to me. So uh, Social Security cuts back my benefits. So I'm like, you know, I'm struggling. Now, this and then you try to contact Social Security to tell them, I know what, what it looks like, what you see, it's paying it out. I'm not getting it. Look at my – you can even show them your monthly expenditures. They can well, see where – Oh, no, 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 no. I told them what the deal was. They said I have to file an amended return, an in, amended individual return, and I need to get a lawyer. Well, no lawyer will represent me. That's where we get into designation. And um, – uh, as far as, uh, well, I can't get the return and I can't uh, have a civil action. I had a civil action before for the first $190,000 that was stolen. I got a judgment, but it they didn't range any kind of repayment schedule, even though I was begging them, trying to get them to do it. I couldn't get anybody else to take the uh, work. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, you uh, know, we had the federal criminal case. Well... I knew from the start. Uh, now, wait um, one second. Now, wait a minute. This is what brings us tonight. Again, everyone, the title of tonight's show is the um, designation. And Scott is very specific with that word. Uh, when you are labeled and marked enemy of the state. And Scott realized he, in fact, was that in essence of his, of his inheritance, you guys. Come on. Inheritance that is withheld, spent by strangers, covered in lies that the money is is being given to him, and it's not. Um, you know, um, God, that's what brings us right into tonight's topic. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Scott, you're going to open it up with the uh, telling us about these two lawsuits. Sure, I'll tell you all about it. And we tell Byra Williams relayed to me, and when we open up for questions and answers, if you can hear me, Elvira, as your friend, I thank you for this introduction. Uh, before, I, we're always trying, when things hurt, Scott, we try to make a humor of them. This, this is an American tragedy because, um, you guys, we live in the United States of America. They say one of the richest and freest countries in the world. But even hypothetically, if all our father could give us is his gold watch, the thought that that can be taken is almost blasphemous. Do not tell me what is going on against us. It's not spiritual. It is. It is. Oh, that's heresy. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Give me a few moments, Scott, and we're going to come back on the other side of the break, okay? Just give me a few seconds. Yeah, I need to do a little dancing, too. Okay. New Jack style of targeted individual. I address and bring to light matters that are hidden in the dark. Matters that we coin 
the polka dot elephant in our living room. Assets dripping, sex trafficking, satanic ritual abuse, rape, defilement. Many of us are defiled. We go to powers in high places and they turn their heads. Many of us are deemed as the village laughing stocks in our community. Women are sexually assaulted and treated like a witch hunt as if they have set up this program. And many just join on and on and on. Join me on my podcast each and every Saturday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Proxy. Call one four four. Seven seven one. You know, they want to keep us separate, but we're all, like I said, like that carousel. As poor growing up, we didn't have money for that. We're all just sides that rotate and turn around. If we'd look a little closer, we're touching hands. We see a picture of trafficking, then another of fashion. They want to make us feel what we're suffering is just us. But we are so connected. If we just look a little deeper, we really do connect. Let's go back on the other side of the break. We talk about fraud, anti-trust fraud in our face. Our guest tonight, Scott, let's pick it up. Hey, Scott. Hello. Hello, Scott. Let's go into the uh, lawsuit that you filed and what you what brought you to file the lawsuit? Um, I discovered the money uh, was gone. Okay. I didn't have a final account because I didn't have a complete set of bank statements, but I discovered the money was gone in um, end of June, 1st of July in 2013. Mm-hmm. The guy who was trustee, he was the successor trustee. He was actually the third trustee because um, uh, the first trustee was my stepmother and then she turned it over to my sister-in-law and we, I sort of had to lose her because she moved out of town and she also sent a girl over to my house to build a firebomb. I think we talked about the firebomb. Anyway, the guy who I got was a CPA I had known him for over 30 years. I did not have a more trusted business associate than Dennis Hampton. And Dennis, I mean, was a real cool character. He's very, very careful with everything. I really trusted him. He was a lot of the reason that I would trust, uh, you know, licensed professionals. Well, Patty just told him, look, you know, she, she, he got us on a three-way call one day, and she told him, look, just take all the money out, take it all out, Dennis. And I said, no, don't take any of the money out. And, so Dennis just put the money in his accounts. And it took another almost a year to get those bank statements from him, and he uh, he sent them out there. And I just about fainted when I saw it. He'd just taken all the money. Cause he was telling me, man, you've got $230,000 in here. Well, when I finally added it up, it was a little over $190,000. Um, the first thing I did was go... I dashed off a short note to the bank. I went over to see them. There was nothing they could do. So 
I went and talked to the police, and I talked to the state accountancy board, and um, it took another six weeks to to get the police interested. And I really figured, you know, the criminal case is really what I'm after because that doesn't cost anything. If that I couldn't really get them to do anything, they handed it off. I, I went to the local police. They handed it off to the War Acres Police, is a suburb of Oklahoma City, which is where Dennis had his office, and then they handed it off to the state attorney general's office. They they don't work that kind of case, and they had it for like 13 weeks, and then they gave it to FBI. Well, what Patty had told me just before I discovered the money was missing was that she would have me designated an enemy of the state, she and her little friend would, and that I was about to experience a major decline in my living situation. Well, I figured that's just a bunch of talk, bow jive, it's a bunch of you know, nonsense, and I pretty much forgot about it. It turns out that that's a, that's a legal term, it's a designation. It's like being on a terrorist watch list. A designation is KST, known or suspected terrorist. But enemy of the state is something far worse. That's a person is defined in um, 50 U.S.C.S. Uh, section 2204, chapter 39, as a person engaged in hostilities against the United States or, or a corporation or group or a country. That's an enemy of the state. And it can, a lot of different kinds of people can be like, they, you know, they say Ed Snowden is an enemy of the state, or um, the Jews in Nazi Germany were enemies of the state. Well. They hadn't done anything, but that's just, that's like label and eliminate is essentially what it is. And a person who is an enemy of the state can have their assets seized as the spoils of war because apparently you were stupid enough to where you willfully and deliberately decided to single-handedly declare war on the United States, which is, and that's how law and police and everybody look at you. It doesn't matter that you aren't doing anything like that. There's no support that's needed for it. All you got to do is fill out the right paperwork, which, you know, Sid knows how to do that. So that's what they did. They knew Wait a minute. And then uh, I want to make sure I understand something. When the right paperwork is, is completed on us, you don't even have the due process to be interviewed, investigated. Are you an enemy of the state? Do uh, we, We're looking in your past. Do we see any, you know, terrorist actions of us? So anyone that fills the paper out, paperwork out correctly will be all, they'll be considered an enemy of the state? Exactly. You can have to anybody, mm-hmm. and they want to do that pretty much for everybody, so they just take your money and kill you. You are subject to military law. You can be detained indefinitely without charges, a lawyer or a day in court. You can be tortured. You can be experimented on, and you can be extrajudicially executed, and you can have your assets seized. Now federal government didn't get those assets. Dennis paid off. Dennis had a $60,000 judgment against him for some other investment thing he had that went belly up. And he also owed penalties, um, costs, and lawyer fees. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't $190,000. I don't know what happened to the rest of the money. FBI wouldn't say. But now, FBI is busy investigating me as, as uh, much as they're investigating Dennis. And I knew they were, but there's nothing to find. I mean, you know, most of my days, I do as close to nothing as I can. I try to be silent and visible and just do 
pretty much nothing because whatever I do seems to get me into trouble. And then um, you wish you were represented by a lawyer. You have two lawsuits. And then upon resulting in these lawsuits, is that when you discovered, Scott, the fact you were on the list of enemy of the state? Yeah, you know, I didn't. Well, I'm still not. She told me they were going to do that, and I wasn't really thinking about it. Um, I wasn't really aware of uh, the legal meaning of it. Um, and I found these guys. I talked to a bunch of lawyers. And I found some guys who do litigation, and they checked. There was no conflict of interest. So they said, yeah, we'll file a lawsuit. He says, a matter of weeks or a few months, and this will all be over. I was like, oh, thank goodness. It wasn't expensive. He said two to $3,000, nothing to it. Well, as fast as we filed a petition, apparently Patty or, or her representative, they said they never met Patty, but they told me that she was paying their invoices. Apparently she went down there and said, look, I'll pay your invoices and I'll let you make more money than what you're going to charge, but I want to give instruction. They were like, yes, ma'am. Well, they didn't tell me that. And I'm dragging them along, and I'm twist, arm twisting them, and I'm screaming and yelling at them. They had to reset the pretrial conference three times. It took them a year to set it the first time, and then they didn't show for it. And the judge dismissed my civil lawsuit. Well, um, we filed that civil lawsuit in January of 2014, and that's also when FBI began their investigation. I pushed this thing along. We had another uh, pretrial conference date scheduled for um, March 2015. It was canceled because of bad weather, so that had to be rescheduled, and it was rescheduled for, uh, I want to say, July of 2015, and okay. Dennis didn't show, and we got a default judgment. It was like for, whew, uh, I'd have to add it up. I want to say it was $388,177.50, I think is what it was. It was pretty mm-hmm. good, you know. I mean, it's all right. Pretty good, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you can get any of that back. Oh, so the judgment was awarded to you. Even though you get awarded a judgment doesn't mean that they're cutting the check and paying you. Right, exactly. I mean, he can if he wants, but what you're going to have to do is go back to court and get the court to order a repayment schedule and, you know, <laughs> him to pay something or just, you know, keep him, get, have him make monthly payments or just whatever it is, some kind of a structured settlement. Well, I kept telling them to do that, and they're going, well, we're waiting to see what the federal case is going to do. And I said, you can't do that. You know, they may do nothing. They don't, they don't have charges. I'm sorry, this is what the advice of your lawyer, of a, a lawyer, that's what they told you? Just just wait and see what the federal? Yes, yes, dumbbells. You know, and, they're just uh, taking instructions from uh, my stepmother and her $900 an hour lawyer and these goons she knows, these criminals. Criminals, oh. everyone that's, that's, uh, that's exactly what's going on when, when uh, organized crime is in bed with our, uh, you know, court system, our lawyers to represent. Our money's paid to them, but the lawyer, am I right, the lawyer's double-dipping, taking your money as well as your stepmother's money? Right. Well, we only paid them about $6,500. So I paid the first 3000 the trust paid another 3500 and then she paid the rest, and God knows what she gave them. Because at one point, my lawyer told me, oh, you're one of my favorite clients. I'm making a lot of money off of you. And I'm like, no, you aren't. You haven't sent us a bill in forever and ever. 
and he's you know he's pretty much doing everything but telling me that there's something else going on, and I yeah I knew heck you know mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly what. But he finally admitted it to me. He he admitted it to you. Yeah, finally, but it was like the end of uh, 2015, and Dennis, we got a judgment in July of 2015. The next day. And that same day Dennis was indicted, the next day Dennis was arrested, the U.S. Marshal came out there and okay. him and hauled him away to jail. Up until that day, he continued to hold to this lie story of his that uh, he had a he he had loaned money to this company that was doing a job for IRS, and IRS had defaulted on paying their bill. Well, it turns out this company was a little shell company that belonged to him. He didn't ever <laughs> tell me that. It's like highly illegal, you know. It's like yeah, very, breaking yeah. a lot of laws, and um, there there was no indication of it at the corporation commission. Um, but he was he was just a guy. He told me he was doing their uh, their books, is what he said. Doing their books is all he did. Well, it turns out you no, know, he was a he was a owner. <laughs> well. Um, he bailed out of uh, jail. They should have kept him in. Mm-hmm. And he was scheduled to go to trial in the federal case. He was indicted. Uh, the FBI agent told me that the grand jury was none too kind to him for having done what he did. Mm-hmm. And, and a year before that, in uh, July of 2014, uh, the State Accounting Board revoked his uh, license and with the uh, fees and a fine, he owed them $32,000, which he never paid. They called it the worst case of malpractice they'd ever seen. This is where it starts getting fun. Mm-hmm. He asked for a continuance, and then he asked for another continuance. Um, so it was from July until like the 1st of uh, November. Then on October 27th, 2015, he pled guilty. He okay. said, you know, he, he wanted to make me whole, which is... Uh, was another lie. And the FBI agent said, you know, he's a proud man. He's going to fight. I said, that isn't what he's going to do. I know all these people. I said, what he's going to do, see, this resets the court schedule, resets the proceeding schedule. In the meantime, they're going to figure out any way they can to worm out of this, and you just wait and see. Well, that's exactly what they did. And ordinarily, they have the sentencing hearing. 60 to 90 days after you get your plea. Mm-hmm. I had 10 days to fill out as a voluntary thing to fill out my victim impact statement, which was just my statement to the court. Um, whether or not we have a, a hearing or not, I get to make the statement to the prosecutor and to the um, judge. Well... And the judge is a real nice lady named uh, Vicky Vicky Miles Lagrange, and um, she's she's been active in some very uh, important uh, causes, very humanitarian person. Well, I agonized over that thing. I, I had ten days, and I agonized over it for like sixty-three days. And it arrived in there in the U.S. Attorney's office on um, January 3rd, I want to say, if I remember right. And um, that was a Monday. 
the following Wednesday, like first thing the following Wednesday, um, our U.S. prosecutor, Sanford Coates, resigned. Now, my family had known um, Sanford's dad just for decades, and he uh, he had been the state's attorney and he had been you know involved in public service and he was a friendly element to us and I had not met Sanford Coates but I I knew who he was and we were all you know we were in um, good standing with each other uh, I didn't have a problem with him the new U.S. attorney was a guy named Mark Yancey and he refused to talk to me I couldn't get in to see him I couldn't get him on the phone I had to talk to the liaison. Um, and I felt I felt terrible about it. I, mean, I felt terrible because I knew that they had told Sanford Coates he was going to have to lie down and let the bad guy get away with it, and he uh, and just and told him about all the people who were involved with it. And he wanted no part of it. He had been a U.S. attorney six years. He loved the job, got it by presidential appointment, and yet he walked away that fast because this was the dirtiest thing he'd seen, my little finance fraud case, which, you know, he had <laughs> he worked on a lot bigger dollar value cases than what that was. It's mm-hmm. like this amazing, like stunning. I mean, I'm just like, I'm, I just can't even believe it. Because uh, I had had to go down and talk to my state lawmakers to get these cases pushed through in 2015, the spring of 2015. And, you know, I was getting it, I was getting what I wanted. I got a judgment. I got the indictment. We got a guilty plea. And then this, and it's kind of like, what else can go wrong? Well, there, it can, it can be derailed at any step and there are a whole lot of steps. That's why I say, you know, justice is never automatic. Um, where is Dennis in this right now currently? Cause he's, you know, he did plead guilty. <laughs> well, wouldn't we like to know? The sentencing hearing was scheduled for May 6, 2016, which is, you know what, um, five, six, seven months after his guilty plea, well, over seven months. Okay. The finance fraud cases are usually, you know, from start to finish disposed in four to nine months. This is, I'm going into month 33 in May of 2016, almost three years, you know. Well... The morning of the sentencing hearing, Dennis was said to have been found dead in his home. It turns out his home is this little office it's in a residential area. It's this little office they had at uh, 58th and MacArthur, Northwest 58th and MacArthur in Oklahoma City, in War Acres. Well, but the police called it suspicious, and they did not want to say why. Everybody's acting real funny around me, you know, and... Um, I noticed that I'm getting email from the U.S. attorney, and I noticed it's got uh, Patty Roloff's name up in the distribution. Well, she wasn't a party to the trust or to these proceedings. But I had mentioned in there that, you know, it was, I had mentioned in my victim impact statement that uh, the money being stolen was part of a gang stalking operation, and Dennis Mm -hmm. and uh, these other people had my blood on their hands because it included killing me, stealing the money and killing me. That was their plan, what they had told me what they had shown me they were going to do. So after I filed these actions, after we got this going, the gang stalking activity over at my house went way through the roof. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I a, lot got of us, a lot of us, they try to kill us over some money now. They will, you guys. 
Right, right. And it's not even a lot of money. And what they're spending doing it is a lot more than what they're taking. For me, it doesn't make any sense. But they're doing it. Well, I got these neighbors next door that starved, methodically starved and dumped. I estimated 105 cats. I had two cats I was very fond of. I'd never had any pets. They killed both of them. And they dumped these animals over a course of many years. It's only been in the last six months I've been able to get that to stop. And I don't know that it stopped permanently, but it has stopped since then. I've had to make some crazy moves to do it, but they're all nice legal moves, things you can do. Um, now, two months after May 6th, I stopped asking people um, if if anybody had seen Dennis's death certificate because nobody had. His wife hadn't seen it. FBI hadn't seen it. Um, his And his, his lawyers hadn't seen it. In Oklahoma... He, he would have gone for post-mortem. And in Oklahoma, uh, even from the medical examiner's office, um, you can't see the autopsy report or death certificate unless your immediate family member, vested business partner, law enforcement, or um, uh, state's lawyers. So a lot of states, it's not that way. You know, if uh, if they went to the medical examiner's office, those documents are available online. You can just look at them because they're a product of uh, public funds. Well, as far as I was concerned, there was no state-authorized uh, documentation issued, and so I figured they hoaxed his death. And if he's, and he is said to be buried up in Guthrie, a town north of me. I don't, I don't know what the story is on Dennis, if he's really dead or not. Um. I don't guess I'm going to see him, <laughs> but uh, if he's not dead, it's not illegal to hoax your death, even to evade prosecution, but if... Uh, oh, I didn't know that. It's not illegal to uh, fake your death, one's right. own death? Right, it's not illegal, but what's legal is if somebody if somebody figures it out, you know, the jig's up, you have to be a master at survival and evasion. You, uh, If somebody figures out if you're using a real name, that's you shouldn't do that. If somebody figures out you're using an alias, um, you can be arrested immediately. So oh. now these guys would know how. Yeah, about to say, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah. Would, they would know what to tell him to do to stay out of trouble. Do, do you feel if this is a hoax and, and in fact he's not dead, do you think that your stepmother may know where he is? Uh, yeah, if he's alive, of course she does. Cause they all know. And she tells she tells my family that I'm messing up the trust. I can't do a transaction. I'm not able to mess it up. You know, I've got a she she passes judgment on every penny I get, and um, it just pays the lot rental here at the uh, trailer park for me. I'm driving a 20 year old vehicle. It needs parts that I can't get. They don't make anymore. This is horrible. Yeah, it is. I've had money to have a nice house paid for, money in the bank, a new car, um, real security, and a good life, but no. And I've got trouble with IRS and Social Security. Well, and I can't hire a lawyer because of the designations. See, okay, Everyone keep that in. That's tonight's topic again, everyone. Keep that word, designation. 
That's right. We've got that job, designation. We've got some high-profile people in the Facebook groups who want, who claim they can talk to media and they claim that they're working with lawyers, they're going to have court actions, and I'm telling them, I'm, I'm saying i got this one thing to tell you. I learned this all the hard way. Your designation can be changed. You can be on a terror watch list or an enemy of the state and not have the gang stalking experience, or you can have the gang stalking experience and not be on a watch list. Or you can be like I am, and you can have both, which really, that means you've been marked for execution, and that's probably what they're going to do to you, even though they might not do it right away. It's kind of a slow kill kind of thing for me. I I think it is for all of us. Do you fear for your life at times? No, I'm just annoyed and tired, you know. I just, I haven't been... I hadn't been afraid or felt even really sad, you know. I I told this girl I, I squeezed out the first tears I've had in 22 years over all of this just the other day just mm. because I didn't have, you know, any real reason to do it. And, um, oh, my gosh. You know, it's just uh, so I didn't, you know. But I've always, I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve this. I'm going to crack it. Uh, I went around the media three times, and I go out there to meet these people in person, and they don't care about this story at all. They don't want to hear it. It scares them, and it should scare them. Um, I'd gone down to the U.S. Attorney's Office and tried to talk with either the liaison or talk to the U.S. Attorney just for a few minutes, you know, just to you know, just to meet him, and because I felt I should do that, I couldn't find anything on the phone or by email. They didn't want to talk to me, man. They're back behind the bulletproof glass laughing at me. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the felicitous mayhem, the ha-ha-hee-hee. And we're talking about our lives. This is not funny. I don't understand this dark humor. Well, I figure if you're dumb enough to be involved in perversion in this day and age, hell, you just deserve it. There's this idea that these programs have purpose and value and you don't get on the list without good reason. But the thing is, how can you, how can you, especially if you're working in like, um, like, you know, a prosecutor's office or a law office, how can you not know that everybody, and I mean everybody on these lists, are innocent? They haven't done a damn thing. Everybody is always the same. None of us have. I think all of us are utterly innocent. Utterly innocent. Very innocent. Completely innocent. Well. How do things look right now if we go into this evening? What brought you, what brought you to want to share your story with your face, God? What really? Well, you know, I kind of, I was, uh, I had deactivated my account on um, on Facebook. I wasn't really active in social media. I'd been active in MSN social media mm-hmm. before, and they, they closed down the groups and chat rooms, like, I don't know, in 2004 or five, I guess 2005, because FBI wanted uh, them to provide like written transcripts of everything that happened in chat rooms, and they didn't want to do it. So... Um, I was already a social media veteran. I was having problems. Apparently, somebody had hacked my account. I got in a strange conversation with some people I thought I knew, and it turns out 
it was somebody who'd hacked their account and mine. Well, and that's mm-hmm. happened to me recently, but so I deactivated my account. But after I got these uh, court actions going, I reactivated it and began to talk about it because I figured we're going to get some kind of resolution. I might even have a victory, and I would want to share that to let people know, okay, this is what happened to me, and this is what I did about it, and we got this result. Well, it turned out I got zero result. I got nothing back. I got kicked in the teeth. And two months after the sentencing hearing, I read, they, I was provided with, from my lawyers copies of the defendant's and prosecutor's sentencing memorandum. Well, these things weren't about the crime at all. They were about whether or not I was too uh, damaged or, uh, like, defective to recover or not defective enough, which is it's like this amazing, you know, narrative coming out of these documents. And they're each 10 pages. They're double-spaced. There's not that much in them. They read them in just a matter of about three minutes. And you're just, like, scratching your head going, hey, WTF, you know, what is this? You know, it wasn't about the crime at all. It didn't even talk about that. It talked about me. And um, I mentioned in the end, you know, these people who did this, not because of the money, but because the plan included killing me, all deserve the death penalty. And um, the the U.S. attorney said, this, you know, this demonstrates, you know, this guy's got bad mental problems. And What are you saying, you know? So if the official position was then and it remains that these crimes simply aren't possible and they don't happen. And if you say that they do, you're imagining it, you're delusional, you're nuts. And this is, I've tried to make a point. Yes, they they cover, they're trying to use that as a defense. Hey, you bring these actions, uh, just a civil action or a criminal action, and you can get it to go. And, um, yeah, they'll change your designation. Well, I was already designated. I didn't know that. Now, some of the people that I'm seeing in social media who want to do this thing, they may not be in um, they may not be watch listed. They may not be on the enemies list. They may not be on the secret federal kill list or the no fly list. All these okay. lists that they think are are um, you know all, all the lists that there are. Exactly. exactly. Uh, I want to tell you also, you know, there there are a couple of hallmarks and. There's an ATLU report called Trapped in a Black Box, and it's growing the uh, federal terror watch lists. Uh, let me say that real slowly. ACLU, Trapped A-L-U. in the Black Box. That's trapped, that what it is? trapped in a Black Box is the name trapped of it. Trapped in a Black Box. Yeah, I've got a link for it. You can get a, the PDF file. It's This report's like, I don't know, 27 pages. Okay. It describes the federal and global criminal database network, which is, um, it's a secret network. I don't have any criminal history, but apparently in the secret, the covert criminal database mm-hmm. file, this thing's got to look like a phone book for everything they put in it over the years. they got all kinds of stuff in there, and all of it is just a bunch of junk. Like somewhere in there, they're saying I've got agoraphobia. You know what that is? Sphere of open spaces. Mm-hmm. I started that back when I was a driver. You know, I was living and working outside, and I was outside around the clock. You couldn't do that if you had agoraphobia. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. the whole thing is ridiculous. No, you couldn't. 
they were having this laugh about telling me I had agoraphobia back at the house. I was going, what are you talking about? And I kept pressing. Uh, my dad was doing that. I kept pressing. What, are, what do you mean, agoraphobia? He says, well, you know, you slept indoors last night. You should have slept outside. It's nature's way. That was his explanation. This kind of stuff, you know, as I get out of people. This about I don't really get a better level of affection and respect out of anybody than that. It's it's ridiculous. So are you telling me when you just stated that, Scott, that not only are you like most of us as targets isolated, in your isolation you are also re victimized in the community as like again, the village idiot, delicious mayhem, the joke of the town. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was a I was an honor student all all through school. I'm not stupid, um, but I'm I'm neutralized. I'm immobilized. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been trying. I've got some little projects over here. I've been trying to do for years, and they're they're not completed because I've been fighting this ridiculous war that has no solutions. And uh, I show these problems to lawyers and accountants, and they can't even figure a way out of it. And then they just tell me, "Well, man, I just can't do anything for you." Uh, that's the further blacklisting everyone to try to seek assistance from, you know, new, possibly new lawyers or, you know, assistance. We're blacklisted. No one will touch us, basically. Or shall I say, help you touch your your case to enforce this judgment for you to get, for you to get what uh, this creep owes you. Right. Right. Um, the third thing, uh, we're winding down. Scott, is there anything that you'd like to add in tonight? And are you... Uh, can you take some questions and answers from the callers tonight? Uh, sure, I'd like to. And I was, I was wanting to say, um, oh, there's, sure. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of difference of opinion about mm-hmm. how many people are gang stalking victims and how many people are on watch lists. I wanted to give you, there's a, there's a big difference depending on who you talk to, um, and what you know those numbers are. That ACLU report talks about hundreds of thousands of people on watch lists. Here's a uh, here's a document called uh, Main Core. Like, this came from uh, the GangStalkingIsMurder.com website. So the 1980s, it was believed there were uh, like eight million. No, wait a minute. In, in, I'm trying to see here. I want to say in the year 2007 there were seven or eight million people on watch lists then. But they were saying later in the ACLU report, like in the two thousand teens, there were just three or four hundred thousand. Some people keep telling me there are three hundred thousand um, organized harassment victims in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But Michael like Bell is saying three and a half million. I'll bet you it's more like eight or twelve or more million in the U.S. Really? alone. Yeah, I would say. And, and Bell says that 20% of the population is employed by, um, you know, security. 20% of the of, of the population employed by, like, you know, people who answer to uh, the military and Department of Homeland Security for these uh, secret uh, terror and uh, this not I like to call it Nazi Renaissance uh, programs to uh, get information. And, fake law enforcement intelligence and torture and kill people and rob them. And that's that's a little presentation. Did you enjoy it? Um, immensely, naturally. Very moving. 
Yeah, well, if it's not your stomach, you're emotionally healthy. No, I don't. I don't really know what to add about it. Um, my my health is holding, and I feel pretty good. You know, I'm and I'm lucky with that. That's a blessing. That. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. That's a blessing. Well, Scott, uh, hang tight. Callers, if you have questions for Scott, go ahead and start eight. If you're in the chat, go ahead and type your question. Uh, everyone, right now, it would be advisable for you to get a pen and pad. I'm going to uh, open up the caller for Yaga to make a very important announcement before we get into our questions and answers about some wonderful, and you too, Scott, take a pen and pad, wonderful news uh, coming from our community right now. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Yaga, uh, and her name is Midge in our community. All right. Am I on, Lauren? You are on. Hi. Good evening, Midge. Hi. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. So, yes, I have a big announcement. Um we have a new formed group, and I just want to kind of tell you all that there's a committed group getting together physically to bring down this evil cabal. And what I mean coming together physically is that, you know, it takes so long, and it, there's so much energy when we're all sitting in our homes by ourselves trying to bring change. So it's always been my dream that the only way to do this is to physically bring together people in the community who have done great activism or who I have known personally over the years and to do a workshop, a think tank. And that is what we did. We kept it quiet because you know how it goes if you get those things out there to the community. And I don't want anyone to get their feelings hurt, but it was a hand-picked group because, like I said, it was usually somebody that I I have known for a long time. I was comfortable with them, but also folks I had met at the conference who were probably in touch with me prior to the conference. So this is more of an offshoot from the conference, because great friendships uh, were formed at the conference. So it was so successful, and I wish everyone could have been there. But I've always said I'm going to build a TI army, and that's what I'm trying to do. But I'm building it for everybody because there is no reason any of us need to go through this. This is wrong. It is against the Constitution. We have rights as American citizens. So I am determined. This isn't about me. It isn't about anybody else. It is about you all. And I mean that with everything I have in my being. So forgive me because I get a little emotional because it was four days of working from morning to night and I and I am not stretching that at all. We uh we all met in Texas Texas at Steve Basden's home. He was kind enough to open up his home to us to eight people that he had met at the conference and one of them is Richard Lighthouse. He is in our group and he has helped me to bring this group together. So uh, I'd like to start with reading off the names of the people who were there. So it was uh, at Steve Baston's home, and uh, it was Richard Lighthouse, Greg Mann, Jack Christiana from California, Dolly Gunther from Kentucky, Christy Kennedy from Indiana, 
Doug Cruz from Chicago and Susan Olson from New York. And I am just grateful to each and every one of them for taking the time, the money, and their energy and putting themselves out there to make that trip possible. Now then, yesterday, with the four of us ladies trying to fly out, it was hell on wheels, let me tell you. We were at the airport in Tyler, and three times they changed our flights. With finally, the announcement came over that we were being canceled altogether, and then told that we would not be able to fly out for two days. With... No provisions, okay? No hotels, nothing. That None of that was being offered to us. There was only one Uber driver who had already made two trips that day to Dallas, and a huge storm came in. So we were trying to decide what to do. Everyone had to get back to their jobs. One lady was extremely sick, poor little Dolly. They've shut down her uh, throat so that she cannot speak. She is an absolute, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest whistleblowers out there who has stood up to these animals. Let me tell you, she has gone toe-to-toe with them when she goes to her city council. So you all need to be looking at Dolly Gunther and her story. She has videos out there. She is an amazing young lady. But they've shut down her throat right now. She cannot talk. Anyhow, and I hope Dolly's on listening. Um... So then there were like two trucks left through Enterprise. So we rented a pickup truck and we drove to Dallas. And with this storm, it was hard to see the road on the two-lane highway. I mean, it was just really pretty bad. But we finally got there. When we got to Dallas Airport, they really messed with us. They split us up and they had us going to the wrong gates so that we missed our flights. I missed two flights, two flights. And then they messed with us going through security. Christy was behind me. They didn't make me take off my shoes, but they made Christy take off her shoes. So in support of her, I took off my shoes. And they kept saying, well, you don't have to take off your shoes. I said, no, she's my friend. I don't know why she has to take off her shoes, and I don't. So they gave her that complete pat down. They always mean to go over her behind, and they do her hands. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But uh, so some of us missed our flights. I missed two flights. And by then, I was just had just had it. So mm-hmm. I did go up to someone. I said, I am not taking one more step in this airport to somebody figures this out for me. Well, the lady was so kind. She, she looked at it, and she said, this is ridiculous. I don't know who has done this. So someone, mm-hmm. see, what they do is they tell, like, the low-level, lower-level type people, you know, this is what you're going to do. And I knew that the one guy that was trying to check us in at uh, Tyler Airport, he was reading a message. He was trying, he was stuttering and stammering around. He was trying to decide what he needed to do with us because he was trying to follow what he was reading, same way as going into Dallas. So anyhow, this is how it all works. But finally they got me out. I had to fly standby. Mm. And they had to put me in the exit aisle, which turned out fine. Once I got on the plane, everything was fine. I had a little 17-year-old girl who hadn't flown much. She was going into Mexico, and uh, she was scared to death, so I had to hold her hand most of the way. And when we started to land, she started screaming. And I said, no, 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 you can't do that. I said, 
this is how it is. It's doing. We're landing. This is what we're supposed to do. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But she was mm-hmm. terrified, terrified, yeah. just a young girl. Anyhow, we got home, but we've been exhausted today. But I am just excited to tell you all about this group. It's called Targeted Justice. And we have a board of directors, and we have four co-founders. And I am grateful to each and every one of one of them. We will be asking for help throughout the community, but as far as the initial group, it won't be changing. It will be only the board of directors and the four co-founders because if we get too many people involved, then it's not productive. And so we are, we are committed to you all to getting together physically again in three months and then again in three months and again in three months because that's the only way to do this. Otherwise, it doesn't get done. And so what we're doing is we're working on the class action lawsuit. We have a long way to go, but we are determined that we are going to do this. We have broken it all up into groups and goals, and and uh, we're still working on the website. We just got it up and running two days ago. And, oh, what's the name of your website? Yeah, it's called targetedjustice.com. We are applying to be 5013C, so it will be changing to .org. We bought both domains. How you do this is if you don't want the perps to try to get in on your business and everything or you don't want them to have something similar, you buy up all the domains. And that gets expensive. I bought two domains, the .org and the .com. But right now, if you want to get on there, you have to do targetedjustice.com. I'm going to ask all of you to get on there. And look at it. We'll be adding every day something different. But just please be patient with us. I looked at that today. Got I home. Saw it. Pardon? I looked at that today. I saw that website. Thank you. Thank you. So I appreciate that. So I just want to read you a little bit something that um, Richard Lighthouse and I put together, just uh, something that we'd like to put out there to the public. You know, we appreciate all other TI organizations that have gone before us. We formed this hand-picked workforce to bring down this evil cabal. We respect and are not trying to duplicate what others have done. But this is a legal agenda to bring a successful class action lawsuit together. We will be providing other legal information. Through a future newsletter, we're going to be providing information. What we're hoping to do is bring in professionals so that people can just go to this site and we will have a list of professionals. We will Then the professionals will tell you what you need to do. And, uh, and so we will have all the information there. We're going to bring in some big names to join us because we're not going to fail. We're going to be successful. This is a bunch of bull that's going on with so many people. And we are committed, all right? We're trying to bring under this umbrella a place for information and help. And we are committed to helping the community. So if you represent a group and if you want, and if you'll give us the information, we'll provide the link. We'll do whatever your group would like us to do, but we would like to have a, you know, a central place where people can go. And um, or if there's any any 
thing that you would like us to add, if you'll just let us know. There's three email addresses on there right now. One is for Doug Cruz, one is Richard Lighthouse, and one is myself. If you'll please just let us know how you feel, what you'd like. We'll do everything we can to provide it. You know, I have a lot of uh, contacts with professional people who have helped me along the way. One is Dr. Staniger. There are several psychologists. Another is Professor Curtis Bennett, who I have retained as my expert witness, and others that I have dealt with over the years, and, and many other people in this group. And so, you know, I feel sorry for Scott, who's been talking tonight. You need to publish your story, and we're going to give advice to people that you need to publish your story. It needs to go out to the world. These stories need, there needs to be an account. They need to be recorded for what has been done to us. And we're not messing around. We are serious. And because we are so serious, we are serious, you know, putting our money out there, and a lot of us don't have it, you know, putting out what happened like yesterday and taking, you know, we know that we're putting our lives out there. I mean, I've been trying, they tried to kill me four times, but I'm so committed this is not going to go on. So anyhow, I just want to let you all know that and that we're going to do the best job we can to bring this um, to a close. So if any of you are already, you know, committed to a class action lawsuit through Spencer Carter, we'd like you all to come to us and we can put it under one umbrella. That way we can all be more successful. There's also the Canadian group that, from what I hear, is very successful at this point. So there's a lot we can learn from them, right? And I have a home in Canada, so I actually can join that lawsuit as well if I'd like to. Anyhow, for the poor people in India and other countries, I'd like to word to get out that if you are being hit by satellite weapons, that if you know of the satellite that is above your country and you are able to identify it and identify where it was created and who has it, the skies above your country, okay, is considered the property of that country. So if there's a satellite that's hitting these poor folks in India, that is property of India. So it goes up to the skies. That is how property works. You can sue that satellite company. That is a fact. And this is what needs to be happening. So give us a little while to get our website up and running because we just got home and with the holidays and all that, we all have families and we're all exhausted because we have worked so hard. And oh, so, uh, yeah, so with that, I just thank you so much. I'd like to read a few other names that are on in the um, the group that they were not able to make it to the meeting. Karen, Karen Stewart, Hope Above Hate, and Ella. And so I'd appreciate it if you all would do what you can, get on the website, and uh, and support what we're trying to do. Okay? Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Thank you for bringing me in. I really appreciate it so much. Oh, no problem. Everyone, again, uh, that this is uh, Midge Mathis, affectionately known as Yaya in our community. And again, uh, just wanted to bring that in before questions and answers. Again, get on that website, targetedjustice.com soon to be targetedjustice.org. 
And I do believe, Yaya, you're going to actually be speaking primarily about this on Linda Costanza's call Friday. Are you the guest speaker? I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit everybody because I'm trying to get it out there. We are committed. Oh, yeah. Committed. Everyone, take this information down. It's also in the chat right now if you want to get chat grabber. Again, know each other. How we support is grabbing, banding together to fight this fight. Put all your personal opinions or attitudes, put them down and pick yeah. up something greater. We are Jedi. Come on, let's oh. step into the light. That's right, Lauren. Thank you. I love how you run your show, by the way. You are very, very professional. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very, very much. Very, very well done. And I forgot to ask I forgot to add one person, Allison, who was Allison. successful. Oh, we did the conference. conference. Yes, yes, because Allison is now she doesn't stop and Alice has has gone on and she's trying to bring together a four oh one K. Just oh, to bring nice. awareness. You know, oh, and yeah. the this, you know, this is now getting so out there that my daughter, who once did not believe me, told me not all that long ago that she has a friend who is being targeted and talking about the same exact things that I used to tell her about. My brother today, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it, what he was telling me. He said, I do not doubt you one bit, and I've been educating myself about this. And I believe you as well as other family members. Oh, oh that's a blessing. It's God's first match. Is he good? More and more people are believing us because there has to be more and more people are being targeted. That's right. That's very true. But what I also see, did you all hear Trump's speech the other day about... Oh. Yeah, a little bit, actually. The State of the Union. That's like, yes, the electronic ma- magnetic weapons. He said those words. He said something to the effect that they know that the electronic magnetic weapons are being used to harm people, and they're going to bring that to a close. And don't quote me on that. I forget exactly how he said it because we were having these meetings, and we happened to turn on the TV and caught it, and we were all stunned. We're all like, did you just hear what he said? That's great. That so it's cra- it's cracking. There's big cracks opening. There's cracking, you know. Yeah. yeah. And so I just want to give everybody hope, and I want to empower people. You know, we have the power. There's enough of us. We That's need great. to elect elected. You know, start electing our own officials. Yes. You know, people need to run for town councilman and. Mayor, I mean, I know someone who wants to run for sheriff in their area. Yes, it needs to happen. And there's a TI in Nevada who I think is running for uh, House Rep, I think. Senator, uh, you mean? um, Or Senator. uh, Eric Griffin? Yeah, Eric Griffin. Eric, I'm sorry. No, there's somebody else as well. Oh, there's someone else. We are a powerful group. Yes, we are. You know, if we weren't so powerful, if we weren't so intelligent, something special about all of us, they wouldn't have bothered. Really, think about that. They wouldn't go through all this trouble. So I'd like to start this huge movement. I'm just not the only one, because everybody I read off their names, they are committed to this movement. And I'd like to start a grassroots movement 
where we start going into the communities physically and speaking. There is no reason why we cannot do that. That's how we get the word out. We cannot stay in our community. We have to reach out. And that started a couple of months ago when uh, a pastor in Indiana reached out to me and I brought in Karen and we did an interview on his radio show because he heard me on another radio show. He's not in the community at all. He's not a target, but he knows what's going on. And so we're finally hitting some other markets, and that's good. That's good. Yeah. But people, God bless you, Lauren, for what you're doing and the other moderators. We owe you all so much. Thank you so much, um, Mitch, for making your announcement. I appreciate it. And everyone, don't uh, get to that website. Run to that website, Targeted Justice. Targeted Justice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me talk. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you too, Mitch. And everyone, let's resume now with this portion tonight. Speaker, that we heard his story. Uh, Scott, if you have any questions and answers over our interview today, Mr. Scott Roloff, go ahead and start eight now. We're talking about when you are designated an enemy of the state. Look at our rights that are withheld. Look at assets that can legally be stripped. Yeah, you know, man, I, mean, I don't know how I can ever get that back. I mean, I sure Exactly, Scott. I'm just, you know, it's like we're, we live in America, but we're not considered an American citizen, and I'm getting out of enemy of the state. Yet we can procure a lawyer to help us on that, and they'll take our money knowing darn well they're going to, you know what I mean, dry sandwich us, basically. Yeah, the last guy who did it, I best not uh, meet up with him out on the sidewalk or something. That's all I <laughs> exactly. exactly. Our association doesn't help you. I I complained to uh, Office of Professional Responsibility about the U.S. Attorney, and I wrote uh, three complaints to the Bar Association, one for my lawyer, one for the guy who wrote the trust document, and one for the U.S. Attorney, knowing they aren't going to take any action. They didn't take any action. They don't care. I uh, talked to the director of the Bar Association, I don't know, a month ago, and told him, you know, lawyers need to know how to deal with people like this. He said, well, I can't help you, but have a Merry Christmas. And we laughed and laughed because he was so jolly. You know, I've been hearing it since our interview, Scott, the laughter. I wonder if they're using laughter to trigger you. Is that a triggering or mocking? Uh, Who knows? (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) <laughs> I'm alive, man. That's all I know, man. Oh, because we're coming up in the 13th year of uh, observing uh, my brother's death, and it comes two days after Christmas, and it's just, I'm glad, you know, that I just spend I spend the holidays by myself. It's nice and quiet, and it's just sublime. Yeah. I think sometimes Christmas resides in our hearts. You know what I mean? We can sometimes be alone, but never, never lonely. Uh, some of these guys like Jack Christiana will not go on my friend list so you know they're scared they're scared they know they're scared Um, I need to tell them that business about designation because you need to stay off of the list if you can be careful about what you say and do and when because you're no good to anybody if you're not alive 
That's true. And I was about to ask that question, will we ever, we would never really get evidence if we're on the designation list. Is that correct? We would never know that? Yeah, you just, well, the, there, there are two main hallmarks of it. You uh, get lots of encounters by police, and are they trying to start fights with you and arrest you? That's a hallmark. Another hallmark is you go to lawyers for any kind of thing at all, and they just tell you they, they can't represent you or they won't represent you. Those are the hallmarks. They can read that ACLU report, and I put the link up for it, and it tells you about the criminal database network. Companies are included in it. Um, it shows you how it works and just who all is in it, and it's a good idea to know about that because any of those people can help you if they want to. I called the Fusion Center and told them I was inappropriately designated, and could they change it and thank you in advance, and I just pretty much that was my message to them. They were like, uh, 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 duh, duh. Well, it did turn off some of the uh, just, uh, harassment here in the neighborhood, which was really, it was too much. It was something all the time, and it did turn it off. And, in fact, I saw the police over at these people's house tonight. I don't know what they were doing, but they saw me coming out the door, and they left in a big hurry. Uh, you know, um, so, but it's quiet over here. That's all I care about. That's true. Um, then I guess the next question is, uh, you can get your, do your best to get your story out about while we're speaking. Um, everyone, I, again, was introduced to Scott by Elvira Williams in our community. She knows a lot of people. And Scott uh, Roloff is on Facebook. So any of you that are on Facebook uh, can get a hold of, of Scott, uh, last name R-O-L-O-F-F, Scott Common Spelling, right. and uh, you also have a um, you have a, your own website, Scott, or you have like a separate Facebook page. Is that what I'm gathering? I've got those two blogger sites, and I'm making a page called a Targeted Justice Denied, Targeted Colon Justice Denied on on Facebook. Yeah, I, I haven't put much on it yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be putting up uh, some of these documents you. People can look at it and oh, yes. see what happened. I think everyone would like that. And again, does anyone have a question right now to be directed to Scott Roloff, our speaker tonight, on uh, marked designation? You are an enemy of the state. What happens and uh, what you're no longer privy or access to anymore? It's invisible. If we're sick or we go to hospitals, we're just treated uh, superficially, but yet we're not looked into that. I think they want to, you know, make us walk out of hospital sick or, you know, or try to escort us on false baker acts, you know, because they can then traffic us in the crazy house and make money. It's a money angle. But a lot of, sorry, if you have your health, Thank you. Be very, very grateful because a lot of us are being, you know, misdiagnosed in medical facilities. And I wonder if it's part of this designation. It's like uh, we live in America, but we're not deemed an American once we're on this list. You know what I mean? Sure. But this is weird. If we're so-called enemies of the state and these horrible people, why aren't we arrested? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, when the police tell me, you know, would you like to go downtown, I say, well, there are no uh, detainers or warrants for me, and in fact, I have no criminal history. Wow. And they just pretty much say, well, have a good day. Because if they say you want to go downtown, they're not saying you're under arrest. They're saying you want to go downtown. I go, no, thank you, and I smile at them. 
But I'm an old trucker, man. I'm used to talking to the police. Every word matters. What is that, what, is that a code when they say, do you want to go downtown? Do you think they mean something else? Uh, no, they want to take you down to jail to see what's going to happen is somebody's going to come along and pick you up. Now, I tell this to the police, too. You say, you don't know this. Someone will come along and pick me up, and I might not be seen again. And I just got to talk you out of it if I can. Oh, my gosh. And they, yeah, they just, you know, they're very, uh, they're usually very friendly. They don't all know or admit that they know about this, but. Um, I've really gotten fairly good treatment. It's a little rough over here, but I've gotten fairly good treatment out of most of the police. So they're not too bad. Um, just treat them like uh, your next door neighbor, and you know, like you want to be treated. And usually, they're okay with that. A handful of officers don't really understand the job. And they don't understand themselves, and they think they're supposed to make arrests and all that. And you just sort of. Uh, just do what you can with them and, and uh, be be a human being to them, and, and everything can usually go your way. That's true. That's true. Well, Scott, is there any last closing comment? We don't have any questions right now from our callers, but you'd like to add, I'd like to add that um, I found your account, your targeting, riveting. Well, this it falls under the category of things that are kept secret, things that need to be discussed. Yes, and do. if you would like, I would sure like to tell you, I'm I'm sort of a, somebody who seems to know more about Nikola Tesla than uh, most people. Most people who say that they're scholars, I would love to talk to your audience about that sometime. N- Nikola Tesla, the inventor? Right. I would love that. Well, um, I know some stuff about him that you will hear no place else. Are you kidding? No, I am no. so interested. Yeah, they, you know, if, do you think he's like the grandpapa of this whole electromagnetic thing they're doing to us? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I would really, no, I would like to really schedule that um, to learn information, and I will contact you tomorrow, Scott. I would like that very much. We hear about them, of course, in the community, Tesla, but do we really know the ins and outs? I will contact you, Scott, very soon about that. I'd be most interested. Most. Everyone wants to say, constantly on my calls, if you do not leave in two to three hours of my call learning something, I'm hanging it up. I'm dropping the mic. No way. We are here to learn, to grow, to care about one another. Sure. Too many secrets have been placed upon us. Let's again uncover things. Yeah, I know some real good ones about him that nobody talks about because they're forbidden words. Oh no, words. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Okay, we'll look back tomorrow. If we can, uh, again, I'll see how your schedule looks because I know the holidays upon everyone. Uh, that which I think is uh, Monday. I, I do sub- celebrate the Sabbath, but I was born to celebrate Christmas, of course. It's a lovely time of year, and like I've always said, I love the music. I always will. And uh, with that, Scott, I would love very much the opportunity for you to return to a call. I humbly feel very blessed in the story. I found it riveting and true, and hope very soon to interview you again. Um, an extension to all of you listening right now. Uh, if you don't call back, I will have calls Saturday 
8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time here on TalkShoot. Call 144-771. Those of you that have plans for the holidays, be blessed, be safe. A voyage to get through these glorious yet stressful time of the year. And I do understand. But have a very safe Christmas holiday is what I really want all of you to have. And uh, again, a warm thank you to Mr. Scott Roloff for sharing his story. And we hope to have him again soon to give us the real lowdown, the Rona Barrett on Nikola Tesla. And with that, as the young people call it, everyone, we're going to commence. And let's coast out with a lovely song. And as the young people say, I'm dropping the mic.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.